preaching text comes from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 35. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me. I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord that all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, our reading today from Matthew 18, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, is the continuation of the text that we heard this past Wednesday at our Ash Wednesday service. And so for those of you who were here on uh, this past Wednesday, you may recall that this teaching session from Jesus started with the disciples asking a fairly straightforward question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, Matthew, in his telling, doesn't tell us what prompts this question, but we know from uh, a couple of the other Gospels that the disciples are asking this question not as some far-off thought experiment, but specifically to find out which one of them is the greatest disciple of Jesus. 
In other words, they are asking Jesus to give them all a grade so that they can settle once and for all who will be the valedictorian at this graduation ceremony they seem to think is coming up. Well, Jesus' immediate answer to their question is unsatisfying, at least for them, because rather than give them a rubric by which they can use uh, to get ahead, he sets a child in their midst, and he says to them that if they don't turn and become like this child, they won't even enter the kingdom of heaven, let alone be the greatest in it. And after this unsatisfying answer, Jesus then goes on for the rest of the chapter, which includes our reading for today, to show how different the kingdom of heaven is from the kingdom of this world. Really, the problem with the disciples' questions isn't so much their impure motives, though I'm sure that doesn't help, but rather that the problem is is that they are considering or confusing, rather, the methods of this old kingdom of this world with the operations of the kingdom of heaven. They're imagining that the kingdom of heaven works basically the same as the kingdom of this world, including a ladder of success to climb. In the disciples' view, the only difference between the two is that while climbing the world's kingdom or the ladder in the world's kingdom involves things like wealth or power or influence, climbing the ladder of the kingdom of heaven must involve spiritual virtues such as honesty or or generosity or moral uprightness. But Jesus, first with his example of the child and then with his teachings and his parable in our reading today, shows us that the difference is far greater than the disciples think. It's not that the ladder of the kingdom of heaven has different requirements than the ladder of the kingdom of the world. Rather, the kingdom of heaven has no ladder whatsoever. Ladders of advancement and greatness, whether they are climbed through hard work, moral fortitude, or spiritual virtues, belong solely in the kingdom of this world. They have no place in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm making a point to explain all of this because I think to understand what Jesus is doing here when he talks about forgiveness, you have to understand at the outset that God has not one kingdom, but two kingdoms. And that we as Christians live in both of these kingdoms simultaneously. In God's left hand, metaphorically speaking, is the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of this old creation in which we live. And though this kingdom is corrupted by sin, it is still God's kingdom. And God reigns over this kingdom through words of law. Whether that law is the moral law of Moses and the Ten Commandments, or even the physical laws of nature, like gravity or entropy or cause and effect, we live always in this left-hand kingdom of God. It is the world that we see with our eyes, that we experience with our senses. It is the world of ordinary daily life in which we work and plan, trying to get ahead or at least to keep up with the demands that are always being placed on us. This is the kingdom of politics, of careers, of families, even of the institutions and organizations of the church. And we cannot help but live in it, at least not on this side of the resurrection. On the other hand, again, metaphorically speaking, is God's right-hand kingdom, what Jesus calls the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. 
We Christians also live in this right-hand kingdom, though it is hidden from our experience and can only be grasped by trusting in the promises that God gives. This kingdom is what we call the new creation, and it is this kingdom that lasts eternally, even after the old creation is destroyed. God reigns over this new kingdom, not with some new law, but with the gospel. This kingdom is not bound by laws that are the same laws that are necessary for the kingdom of the old world. Rather, it is governed by only God's promise of salvation and life in Jesus Christ. Understanding these two opposite and overlapping kingdoms, the left-hand kingdom of the law and the right-hand kingdom of the gospel, is central to understanding what it is to be Christian. For we live simultaneously in both of these kingdoms, subject to the law insofar as we are sinners, yet set free by the gospel insofar as we are God's saints, God's chosen. We are both of these things at the very same time. Well, in our reading today, Jesus is working through this dual citizenship of ours, using the topic of forgiveness in particular, and he begins in what may seem to be a surprising place. He gives rules. He gives laws that govern the process of correction and forgiveness within the institution of the church. Now, if you know, and I hope that you do, that God's forgiveness is the very heart of the gospel, you might be surprised to know that Jesus' discussion of forgiveness in the first few verses of our reading is not gospel at all. Rather, it's law. And what's more, it is the law as it applies to churches of all places. Very often we hear the word forgiveness and we immediately assume we're dealing with uh, the gospel. We're dealing with God's right-hand kingdom, God's gospel forgiveness, the kind of forgiveness that doesn't wait for you to get your act together. But uh, no, I skipped a line. But that is not always true because even under the law, sinners require a certain level of forgiveness simply to be able to live and function together, even within the church. And so as Jesus lays out the process for resolving conflict that comes when one sins against another in the church, he's operating in the left-hand kingdom. He's operating on the basis of this old creation. He's operating on the basis of law. When one sins against another in the church, there is a process of correction. First individually, then with a witness or two, finally with the entire congregation. And if that does not lead to repentance, then reconciliation between the two parties simply will not be possible. That's how things sometimes work in the left-hand kingdom. This is forgiveness, but it is a forgiveness of the law. So then Peter comes in with a question. Because he understands something about how the law works. And so he wonders how many chances should a person get? Maybe seven chances? That seems like a good number. Should I forgive them seven times, Peter says? But what does Jesus respond? Not seven, I say, but 77, or some translations, 70 times seven, Jesus says. That is more times than you could possibly count, unless you're keeping very accurate records. Jesus' response shows us that there is a second kingdom at work. Peter's limitation is very inadequate because even when the church is acting under the law, as it must in this old creation, 
God's gospel forgiveness, the kind of forgiveness that doesn't wait for you to get your act together, this is where I jumped to earlier, still influences the way that we deal with each other in this kingdom. Because we know that God's gospel forgiveness is given freely. Because we know that God's gospel forgiveness will outlast the law. And because of this, we can endure being sinned against seven times, 77 times, 70 times, seven times because that is how God is dealing with us. So finally, Jesus shows us what this looks like. He uses his parable of a slave who is unmerciful, though he has received mercy. First, there is a king who sets down to settle his accounts That is, he sets out to do the work of the law, right? Adding up the numbers, making sure everything is paid back where it is supposed to, making sure what his owed him is received. And when one of his slaves is found to owe an impossible sum of money, an amount that would take something like 15,000 years for him to earn at a normal laborer's salary, an incredible amount of money, billions of dollars today, at least if I'm doing my math right, the king plans to do what's in his rights within the law. He plans to sell this slave and his family and his possessions in order to recoup some of the debt. There's no way he's getting all of his money back. But when this slave falls before the king and begs for mercy, the king does something unthinkable. He cancels the slave's debt. I mean, can you imagine that? This slave owes the king an imaginable amount of money, and the king, he doesn't sign him up for some payment plan. He doesn't advise him to enter bankruptcy proceedings. He simply cancels the debt outright, and he sends the slave on his way. That is gospel forgiveness. The slave, though, still seems to be living over here under the law rather than over here in the gospel. For when he sees another slave who owes him some money, a significant amount of money, maybe a year's wages, he exercises his rights under the law and he seizes his debtor by the throat and he demands that he pay his debt. And though this slave pleads with him in exactly the same way that he pleaded with his king, he is unmoved and he throws him into prison. And when the king hears of this, that this slave who received this gospel forgiveness still insisted on the law of what he was owed, the king gave him what he was owed under the law, which was to be imprisoned until all of his debt was paid. And then, says Jesus, so will my heavenly father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart something to take seriously. So what does this all mean for us? Who live at one and the same time under the law, though we are set free by the gospel. Well, it means that on the one hand, as long as we are sinners, dealing with sinners, that is, as long as we are alive here in this world, we are in need of the law to keep us from taking advantage of one another. Since we are infected by sin, we cannot do away with the law, not even in the church, for God is using it to protect us from one another, or maybe I should say to protect others from us, so long as this creation continues. But on the other hand, the law is not the last word 
for Christians. For we know that one day we will once and for all die to the law. And that in the resurrection, sin will be no more. And the only word God will have for us is that word of the gospel. We, and because the law is not God's final word, we as Christians are set free from using the law to our own advantage. We are free to forgive our neighbors, not just seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven, because even that could never approach the magnitude of the forgiveness we ourselves have received from God. We are free not to insist on our own rights, but to yield for the sake of another, because we know that the good that God has stored up for us in heaven far outweighs the earthly satisfaction of getting what we're owed. We are free to use the law as God intends it to be used, not to justify ourselves, not to get ahead, not to make ourselves look good, but rather to protect and preserve life here in this world as long as it lasts. And we can do this because God's final word for us is not a word of law or rules, but a word of gospel forgiveness. That though your sins are as scarlet, in Jesus Christ they are washed white as snow. So that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.